This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, welcome to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Philip C. and joining me in the studio today is Egyptian Ambassador to Malaysia, Ragai Taufik Said Nasir, as we have a wide-ranging conversation about Egyptian-Malaysian relations. Good morning, Your Excellency. Good morning, it's a pleasure. Thank you for uh, inviting me to this uh, very uh, prestigious program and uh, a very good day to all your audiences. Well, thank you for joining us. We have much to talk about today and we have to focus on the Palestine-Israel conflict yeah. because Egypt has, over the course of these historical tensions, played many roles. I would like to focus on the legacy of Anwar Sadat. He was the third president of Egypt, Nobel Peace Prize winner, who brokered a peace treaty with Israel 45 years ago. Yes. Has this recent conflict basically obliterated decades of Egyptian effort to broker peace in the Middle East? Well, thank you for bringing this to uh, your audiences, because really President Sadat was, as we say in Egypt and in the Arab world, he was a man of, of outstanding vision. He looked to the future of the Palestinian-Arab conflict way ahead from 1979. Mm. He started negotiating from 1974. And in fact, when he had this peace treaty with Egypt, between Egypt and Israel, he said that the first condition is not to have it between two countries. No, I want to have peace with Israel, between the Palestinians and the Israelis. So he had at that time, and he proposed, and he negotiated with the Palestinians, with the uh, Israelis, at that time, that we will sign two treaties, one between us and Israel, and the other one should be between the Palestinians and the uh, Israelis. He had this vision that the only way out is peace, and that if you start war, war in the end has to lead to peace. But the vicious circle of, of, of uh, hatred and the vicious circle of uh, wars will not have an end in it. You know that Egypt fought, maybe some of your uh, uh, audiences doesn't know, that we have fought four major wars. Egypt is in 1948. Mm and then 1956, 1967, 1973, we lost uh, more than 100,000 Egyptians were killed in these four wars. Mm. And still in the end, he said that enough is enough. Uh, there's a lot of my children, the Egyptians are being killed. And in the end, I have restored Sinai, but uh, let us have another vision. And, you know, uh, the Israelis were very stunned to listen to him. I remember at that time, I was young, I was listening at that television uh, speech. And he said that the Israeli government will be very surprised to hear from me now that I am telling them I am ready to go to Jerusalem to meet the, the Israeli uh, prime minister to speak about peace. They were stunned, said, oh, he's bluffing or what? Mm. He's, after all this war, he said, no, I am a leader. In the end, we have to have peace. Uh, this vision, I think now, uh, as you rightly put, we need we need to implement it. This man was looking forward. I mean, his vision and his courage, he paid the yeah. price for it yes, through yes. an assassination. Yes. And I worry that actually there are very few leaders of this vision and courage now. And the worry is that this conflict we are seeing, when you say that war ultimately hopefully ends in peace, we don't see that clarity that peace will come eventually in this part of the region, right? Has this conflict resulted in delaying the peace process indefinitely? 
There was a lot, you know, after Sadat, a lot of arrangements. And we did, there was the peace international conference in Madrid. After that, yes, Arafat had the, the Oslo agreement with the Israelis. But it is the follow-up on it. It is the, as you said, it, want, it is uh, how to be uh, uh, courageous enough to implement it. How to fight for your cause against extremists who for them the only way is only killing and whatever. Killing is vicious, war is vicious, a vicious circle. We saw some really good effort to begin normalizing relations with Israel. The Arab world was beginning to move towards it. Egypt was the pioneer in trying to normalize relations with Israel. I think the concern is that we are at this point of no return, right, in terms of normalizing relations with Israel within the Arab world. No, no, no. I, um, I think, no, we still have hope because um, after Egypt came Jordan and other countries also, uh, Bahrain, UAE, uh, the war that, have, or, or, or that happened, or the, what happened the 7th of, of October, of course, the, let us be fair, yeah, and the Palestinians have endured a lot, a lot of atrocities by the Israelis, a lot of uh, killings, and uh, in the end, maybe they decided that enough is enough. Let us start mm. something, you know, let have some uh, say in that. But I think that still, although what's happening now, hopefully, inshallah, it will uh, ease down. This is what we are uh, trying to do. And in the end, the only way, the only way is the two-state solution or the only way is to sit together and we, we find a peace solution to this mm. crisis. So what is Egypt's role now in the conflict? Because prior to this, you were that critical diplomatic bridge between the Arab world and Israel. Has that bridge been burned? No, no, no. Alhamdulillah, it's still there. And I, since the beginning of the war, I do not enter into most of your prestigious audiences. They know the, what happened. But I want to say to focus about some highlights. You know, Since the 7th of October, and uh, we started entering into uh, negotiations with the Israelis, and the Palestinian side to uh, try to uh, enter into a ceasefire. Because when it culminated, there was a lot of loss of lives and uh, Israelis started waging a big war on the Palestinians, the civilians. If you can imagine that up to now, more than 12,000 are killed, this is something outrageous. So our first aim was, let us convince both sides, especially the Israelis, that we need a humanitarian aid to go. We need some uh, a ceasefire, at least for some days. We gathered aid. I want to tell you something about the humanitarian aid, first of all. Uh, let me commend through you all, all the Malaysian sisters and brothers who have donated uh, a lot of humanitarian aid for the Palestinians. You know, we decided from the first day that we will allocate Al Arish Airport, which is very near to Rafah Crossing, mm. to send aid to the Palestinians, and that the Egyptian Red Cross will, will be the only entrance from aid from all over the world to go through. Alhamdulillah, that you know, I'm, I'm happy that uh, from Malaysia, more than 55 tons uh, is allocated. We have uh, and uh, we have facilitated and uh, gave permission to two eight flights from Malaysia. And I attended two ceremonies at that time in the airport with the Deputy Prime Minister uh, Zahid Hamidi and the second one with the Deputy Prime Minister Fadila. Uh, two of them were 20 tons of uh, 20 each. And let me just say, you know, uh, reveal something, you know, that uh, Malaysia have a priority in uh, for us to send 
aid may be uh, prior to other countries. Um, I mean, should not say that, but this is the truth. We have made sure in the two times that uh, the two planes went there that it landed before other countries. And also, um, you know, the media, uh, media personnel on board, which was from Bernam and other, they were the only, and I repeat, the only international uh, media uh, people who were allowed to enter and to have photos inside the, uh, the cargo area. Mm. Others are not allowed. So Malaysians are giving and Egypt is prioritizing Malaysian aid into yes. the border to facilitate Rafah crossing. The question I think most Malaysians will have is how much of the aid has crossed the Rafah crossing and actually is now being dispersed to Gazans who are really mm-hmm. under a lot of pressure. What's the percentage of aid? I think this is a wonderful question because this is why we are always asked about that from all other countries also. But let us return to something. Uh, maybe I missed it. On the 7th of October, um, we tried speaking to the uh, Israelis using our relations with them because as always, all our presidents, Sadat and Mubarak, President Sisi, is always asserting on something. We have relations with Israel, but we are using these relations for the benefit of the uh, Palestinians. Palestinians. That's why the Rafah crossing was closed for a long time. So the Rafah, cro- uh, no, the Rafah crossing, it has two entrances. This is people misunderstand. One mm. on the Egyptian flight, it was open since the seventh and up to now. Well, what is the problem? The problem is on the other side, the Israelis on the same day bombarded uh, the walls and the street on the Palestinian side. Okay, I can allow as Egypt all the, the trucks to enter, but how will they, they will go from the other side? There are a lot of damages in the road. What did we do is the following. We have been in negotiation with them till the 11th of, till the, sorry, the 15th of October. We succeeded in entering the Egyptian engineers to pave on our own expense all the uh, roads on the Palestinian side, which was bombarded by the, by the Israelis, to allow the trucks to enter. We had uh, we succeeded up till now in entering, I can say, let, uh, up till yesterday, up till one week ago, before having this uh, late uh, ceasefire, which I'm going to speak about, let us say about 25%. The rest was just left because the Israelis, they insist on all the trucks, something very furious, have to go 50 kilometers on the other side to be searched and mm. returning back 50 kilometers. And some of the aid, like water, at that time, they, don't, they didn't allow or, or uh, fuel type. What happened after that? What happened is that, alhamdulillah, when we reached the negotiation of a ceasefire, we worked tirelessly in it. We were very happy to have a five-day ended uh, which ended um, the first phase on Monday. But the good news is that we are going to reach, uh, we reach an extension of another two days, now it's seven, and we are entering into serious negotiations, our uh, Egyptian government with Israelis to, inshallah, try to continue with Adlai. I hear you, and so much effort, you know, in expediting the aid, but the narrative that's being played out is that Egypt has intentionally closed the border so that we don't see a repeat of these Palestinian yeah. camps in Lebanon and Syria because the ch- the tension that you have is we're facing a humanitarian crisis in Gaza. But at the same time, you don't want to displace Palestinians outside Palestine and Gaza uh-huh. and f- and then they're not able to go back and return back to their original yeah. homes. This is unfortunately the misunderstanding that, you know, it is easy to blame others. It is very easy for, uh, you know, the Israelis or whatever, whom to blame? Blame the Egyptians. No, what I'm asserting is the Rafah crossing was opened since the first day. The problem was not displacement of Palestinians. The problem is that the all 
the uh, ways from the Palestinian side were destroyed by the Israelis. When we reach this ceasefire, now you are having more than 200 to 300 trucks entering daily. And up to 50,000 uh, petrol and gas have been entering. The uh, How many were evacuated? I can tell you more than 1,000 people have been evacuated and uh, from uh, both sides. For our Palestinian brothers, you know, um, we reached an agreement 10 days ago and up to now it's going on. You know what's happening in El Shefa Hospital, the babies and what we have, all the babies, uh, about 100 are being daily uh, entering Egypt to, 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 to be uh, put in incubators. We have more than 500 Palestinians entering for treatment because Arish is very e uh, near to all our um, hospitals are in maximum alert, working tirelessly to have the Palestinian uh, being treated in Egypt. You know. mm. Let's take a broader lens because your president, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, has warned against this conflict expanding beyond Gaza, calling yeah. this entire region a ticking time bomb. You have the Houthi militia in Yemen, Lebanon, Hezbollah. Do you agree with this assessment that the whole region has this risk of being entirely destabilized? 100%. You can see after the beginning of the war, this atrocity by Israel, what happened? We have problems on the Syrian side, Lebanese side. You have now two uh, international vessels which have been uh, kidnapped. You have rockets yeah, sent hijacked. from the Houthis. And uh, you have a lot of uh, problems there. We, uh, the president said from the beginning time, it will be escalated if you don't contain it. From our side also, uh, we will not, let us say, agree on much more atrocities to be happening to the, our uh, Palestinian brothers. That's what we have been pressing the Israelis, we have entered into negotiations with the Americans, we pressed all of us for having this ceasefire, inshallah, to continue like that. In Your Excellency, I think the concern is that actually most people in the Arab world are peace-loving. The issue here really is to resolve extremist forces on both sides. How can we fundamentally stem out extremism? The only way is to sit together and defuse the war, try entering into build up open dialogues, encourage the peace, loving people on both sides, have courageous people like uh, President Arafat or Sadat or uh, and the Israeli side also to, to push for having a Palestinian state side by side by the Israeli state. This is the only way, you know, because war is vicious. I'll tell you something, you know, now these 12,000 have been killed. If a mother or a father saw his child being killed like that, or if, if, if a boy saw his mother will was slaughtered on the street, what will happen? It will be vicious. He will be growing, growing up wanting to have revenge. So we will continue forever. The only way is for uh, people who are so wise. I think it's very difficult, but still there is an, an open way that we are working for that. Yeah, and we are pressuring and pressuring, pressuring more on the Israelis on this. Yeah. Who's the right mediator of peace? This is US outstayed its position as a mediator here. Should it be someone like China? Should it be someone in the region like yourselves in Qatar? I think that both sides listen to Egypt very well. They know that we are good mediators. We mediated a lot. We have, what can I say? We know Israelis since 1948. We have mm -hmm. diplomatic relations since 1979. We know their mentality. We have mediated a lot of uh, either public or non-public release of hostages, okay, uh, Palestinians from prisons. The Israelis, they trust us. 100%. And the Palestinians, they are our brothers. So they know that in the end, we don't have, look, Egypt doesn't have a hidden agenda. 
We don't have any hidden agenda to have our own. If our own interest is pleased, Palestinians are our brothers. This is our border and we want safety for our border. Mm. Because everything which will happen there will affect us. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and continue our conversation with Egyptian ambassador to Malaysia, Ragai Taufik Sayinasi. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Welcome back. Joining me in the studio today is Egyptian Ambassador to Malaysia, Ragai Taufik Said Nasseh, as we have a wide-ranging conversation about Egyptian-Malaysian relations. Now, let's shift our attention to really the depth of relationship between Malaysia and Egypt. I mean, you can see the warmth that really emanated, especially when our Prime Minister, Dado Sri Anwar Ibrahim, came over mm-hmm. to Cairo, right, uh, middle of this year. What really is the source that connects both Egypt and Malaysia? I think the people... Look, the relation between both peoples are way back, back, very back. I, I knew when I came here, for example, especially uh, the education part and the cultural part. When I came here, I found that, for example, I'm speaking about Al Azhar University. Mm-hmm. The, uh, if you know that up till now, we assume that more than 60,000 Malaysians have been graduating from Al Azhar, more than thir- 40 years up till now. We have currently 7,000 Malaysians studying in Egypt. And as it was said, I heard it from the Ministry of Higher Education, that Egypt is the second after China in the number of uh, students uh, studying there, which is for us Wonder seven thousand is not a small uh, number here. I know it, it struck mm. me actually. I'm wondering why is Egypt such an interesting location as a center of higher education? What attracts Malaysians to Egypt to study there? I'll tell you. If you want to study religion, we say that I can say that Egypt is very moderate uh, religious wise. Al Azhar University have been the oldest university in the world. Could you imagine that a university is more than one thousand five hundred years old and still existing up till now? You study there, um, in simple way. Uh, all faiths. We don't ask our students to be uh, abided by any. It's your own choice. You study religious freely. Yeah, to be simple, so all major like to go there. Besides that, is new for us, which are we are very happy that since ten years, a lot of Malaysians are going to study not only religion because it was thought for them it's only to go to other now. Uh, there's a lot of students who are studying engineering and medicine and pharmacy. Uh, I went sometimes to some um, hospitals here and then I found somebody speaking Arabic. And then he said, well, mm. I'm coming from Alexandria or I was uh, in Mansoura Medicine uh, School, which is a good trend. We have now uh, verified that. Yeah. And it's such an appealing uh, place to pursue your education. But there have been so many st- challenges, right, especially for Malaysians. I mean, we saw the recent case of about 60 students stranded there. Has the situation been resolved now? Yes, yes, yes. yes. We were not stranded. It was the only when they went there, unfortunately, here from Malaysia. I mean, the, the, let us say the institute that have sent them did not, uh, they had said it before, uh, verifying all the papers, you know, but mm. look, Malaysia, there is the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar have uh, given orders, I don't want to say that, to uh, all, the, what, whomever will come from Malaysia, whatever problem will it, it will be solved and everything will be back in normally yani, because uh, Malaysians are very respected and I want to tell you that I met Sheikh Al-Azhar before coming here and he told me literally that the best students in the world for him are Malaysians and I told that to all the governmental officials here, the best students, he told me, tell the Malaysians when you go there, you are the best students that I have in Al-Azhar. So this is a credit for him. He, he, he admires Malaysia and hopefully I'm not revealing a secret, but hopefully he can visit uh, Malaysia. 
Biden exterior. Well, I think uh, hopefully the ties uh, deepen further. But one tie that's also quite critical is the economic ties, right? Egypt is Malaysia's third largest trading partner in Africa. Trade value, I think about 1 billion US dollars, increasing about 25% compared to 2021. Yeah, 1.2 billion. Yeah. There's still a lot of room, more, more room to grow, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. I share with you that these figures really do not at all reflect the relation that uh, we have, you know. In fact, something else which is booming is the investment. The investment of Malaysia in Egypt, which not everybody knows, but I knew it here from the Ministry of uh, Investment is $9 billion. And you know, uh, the pioneers of that is the Petronas. Mm -hmm. And what is new, which is uh, you will see in uh, Egyptian streets by next year, is the Proton. Proton have already in entered into, they have this Egyptian company who entered with them to build a factory. And in fact, the MOU was signed by the witness by the Prime Minister, uh, our Prime Minister. But we are going to have, you know, the prestigious Proton cars in Egypt by uh, the mid of next year. So maybe when I return back, I was just telling my family, I'll... I'll you should buy a Proton I'm there. Yes, yes, I'm focusing <laughs> on the Proton X70 or X50. It should be wonderful, yeah. Yes. Well, I think that's so interesting because, I mean, so much room for opportunities for further investments and trade. And a lot of talk about setting up working committees, having these uh, trade centres, joint trade commissions. I think the question is that there's so much talk about trying to have these sessions, right? But translating it to actual results has been the challenge, isn't it? Yes, and that's why we are working for much more visits. We are uh, working on having a business delegation to travel from Malaysia, business delegation to travel to Egypt by next year. Of course, the visit uh, of our foreign minister in March 22 opened the gate after that. The prime minister uh, traveling to Egypt, I want to tell you that uh, President Abdel Fattah Sisi, you know, I'm revealing a lot of secrets with you here on the uh, on your research. Please do, please do. <laughs> yeah, and he, I want to tell you that, you know, it was very, very, very fruitful. And after which the president he said you know Malaysia is becoming a priority now yeah and that's why I'm telling you all the aids that came anything that comes from Malaysia now is number one is having a certain uh, we are also let us say something no there is still the visit that was under went by the honorable prime minister was for Gaza to speak about what's happening there and we are very grateful the honorable prime minister to travel there but still there is an official visit by the prime minister inshallah uh, to go to Egypt in fact our president when he met him he told the prime minister you know I'm awaiting you for the official visit mm -hmm. so hopefully it will be that and we are happy that the prime minister also uh, presented an invitation to President Sisi to come he accepted it I'm, I'm sure by the first half of the course of the next year we'll find a lot of uh, visits very high level visits inshallah mm. what does President Fatih al-Sisi see in Malaysia that he feels he can replicate in Egypt because what is the interesting operating model of Malaysia that he finds so appealing that he wants to put Malaysia as a priority for Egypt then? I tell you, you know, there was a phone call between the president and the prime minister in February this year. And the president said, we are looking highly to your model of building the country, the technology. We want to make use and to attract Malaysian technology, either in IT, in cars, which alhamdulillah is implemented there. And, uh, and Malaysia have, uh, you have built a great country, you um, have well-advanced companies and we want to attract the Malaysian technology in that. I'm working now with some uh, Egyptian uh, Malaysian companies here to attract them, by the way, in the field of IT. And this is one of the fields. Yeah. So we are looking forward to that. So looking forward to more education and economic ties. I, I wonder though, one tie that perhaps binds us much closer together is the game of squash. Yeah, yeah. And in this case, yeah, I have to say that actually many Malaysians are very yes. envious that actually Egypt produces so 
so many squash world champions. Tell us a secret. How can they produce so many world champions? We're very jealous. I'll tell you the secret. The secret is maybe returns back to President Mubarak. Hosni Mubarak. Yes, Hosni Mubarak was a squash player. And during his stay, his, uh, when he was in Egypt, yeah, president for more than 30 years. That's why we had this revolution also that, you know, you don't stay too long. But anyhow, <laughs> one of his good things that he have encouraged playing squash. So these players have been granted all scholarship training, best of training. And then they have, after that, when President Sisi came, he said, okay, we will continue on that. So they have the most and the trained all over. They have the access to go everywhere and uh, they are talented. Uh, but also, always there is a tough matches with Malaysia. I remember he had the last two matches there. It was very tough. Yeah, The girls won. The girls won yeah, in that yeah. case. That's very true. You know, it's very interesting. You brought up the story about President Hosni Mubarak. He, he really was in 1990s. That's where all the investment in squash in. But you made a very interesting point about not staying too long. And this is also a message perhaps for all leaders around the world that you shouldn't outstay and overstay your welcome. Yes, yes, of course, in general. Yani. And that's why we had this uh, 2020-10-11 uh, revolution, you know, saying that, you know, enough is enough. Uh, the people, you know, in the end, it's the people. The people who went to the city said enough is enough. You can yeah, retire as a legend and leave the other country to somebody else. And he had to do it. Yeah. But he stayed in Egypt after he died. He didn't want to go away. This is something that we have to say. And he said, I'm not leaving Egypt. I'm an Egyptian in the end and I'll stay there. And he died there yeah, in mm. the country. Well, Ambassador, thank you so much for spending your time with us on The Breakfast Grill. Egyptian Malay Ambassador to Malaysia, Ragai Taufik Said Nasseh. I'm Philip C, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.